Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging, and you, or they, might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hello, welcome to Aging Life, the show about all things aging. I'm your host, Nancy Oriola. And today we're going to be talking about a a rather timely topic, managing family conflict during the holidays. You know, many of us are gathering during this time of year for the end because of what's been happening for the last 18 months. Many of us are gathering for the first time in two years. The stress of the season is already a given. We know about that. And such gatherings may be exacerbated when the changing needs and challenges of elder care is put into the family equation. It's common for family members to have differing views on an aging loved one's status, care needs, and future planning decisions. The stress of elder care truly can bring up old conflicts and begin to fracture what I often say is even the best of families. The issues and interactions may find their way, in fact, to your holiday meal. So today we're going to talk about this topic, and I have joining me today a woman, a very experienced interpersonal communication expert and transformative mediator, a woman by the name of Anne Delane Clark, I call her Anne, with her 20 years of mediation experience. 10 years of experience in teaching transformative mediation, Anne has helped others understand the power of conscious communication to improve relationships within families, businesses, and governmental agencies. We are really lucky to have her with us today. Also, I want to add that since 2019, she's been incorporating understanding of how our brains work and primary human needs to focus on helping families in conflict over crises issues such as child custody and elder care. And thank you so much for joining me today here at Aging Life. Well, thank you very much, Nancy, for inviting me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Good. I'm thrilled to have you here. We have so much to cover today and not not a lot of time to cover it in. So I'd like to get started by asking you to begin talking about the problem a little. Like, how do families get themselves in trouble? Why do families get themselves in trouble when we gather? And, um, you know, siblings, for instance, whether they're young, middle-aged, or old, um, often have conflict whenever they get together. And when they try to talk about the care and future of their aging loved ones, that just really can make it all worse. Well, first of all, um, talking about the care, the care and, and uh, attending to our aging loved ones is a very stressful topic all by itself, no matter what the circumstances. That is true, yes. <laughs> and and um, this is when I'm going to get just a touch in the, to the brain science in a very non-technical way. But 
the, there's a, a lot of work out there by a, a, a neuroscientist named Lisa Feldman Barrett. She was a psychologist first and then got into studying the brain because she was curious about how emotions work. And she discovered in her, her overall research that really the brain's primary function is to manage our body budgets. And this is, you know, in service of survival. Body like your physical body. Your physical body Body budget, meaning the energy you need to just get through your day and survive another day. And there are key things that we always need to keep in mind when we're managing our um, energy level. And the basics are good food that nourishes us and gives keeps our blood sugar even. That's an important thing. Um, water, especially if you live in a high altitude or a dry place like New Mexico, water is super important. And getting good sleep. Those are key. Then the next things that are important are exercise and positive human interaction because we are the most social animals on the planet. So that's a little introduction about what the brain's main goal is. And in service to that goal, it works to conserve its own energy as much as possible. So it's always predicting what is going to happen next based on previous experience. And if it guesses correctly, if it predicts correctly, then that doesn't use up as much energy. But if it predicts incorrectly, then it has to make some extra decisions. And decisions are the hardest work that the brain does. It has to decide whether or not it should change the pattern that it's using to predict to see if that's going to be something that might be the same in the future or whether to just let that go. And changing the pattern uses up the most amount of energy. And the brain is trying to conserve energy. So this sets us up for having repeated similar conversations with the people that we have spent the most time with in our lives, especially people we spend a lot of time with in our youth. So that sets us up for challenges if we experience fact there to be tough conversations with certain people or conflicts or or arguments or snarky remarks or okay Hmm. and we are looking for them all the time because the Hmm. brain has that expectation this is the pattern it looks for the affirmation that the pattern is there and so even if it hears lots of really good things, it's looking to hear those things that confirm that negative pattern. So the thing, so when I read, like if I were concerned, I'm going home for the holiday and I'm concerned and I'd like to do it differently. And I get online and I Google and I start reading, okay, you need to do it differently. You need to prepare your mindset. It really is work that, that needs to be done. Like, like, you have to prepare for this interaction because this patterned um, brain response, addiction response goes on that trip with you. 
<laughs> yes, it does. It totally does. <laughs> and that, so what you want to do, just like you said, is you want to do it ahead of time so that your brain is already starting to develop some new patterns and new expectations because you're learning some new skills on how to listen a little differently, how to um, react, ask how to react differently, mm-hmm. how to start asking questions. Because one of the best ways we can um, set up a positive interaction with someone, anyone is to ask them questions about what's going on with them in their lives. And especially in this family situation, we might want to do things like, so I'm curious, well, what are the the things you're worried about lately? Because I know we're all worried about stuff right now. Oh, in general? Like, how are you really? Yes. How are you really? And, and when we start hearing the things that our family and friends are concerned about, then we start to listen more to what's their challenges. And our brain is starting to make a new connection about, because when we're curious, the brain wants to make new patterns. Curiosity stimulates the brain to say, oh, it likes to learn oh, I have something new to learn here. So it goes into a different mode and it it, it likes that setting. It, and it doesn't, because it likes it, it doesn't require quite as much energy as it would be to break an old pattern. You're setting a new pattern from scratch in a way by being in that place of curiosity. And you're setting yourself up to have some empathy for the other person. And you're setting them them up to see you in a different way because, wow, she or he asked me first what was going on with me. Yeah, I think, you know, you're the expert. But in sibling groups, it seems that everyone, well, in any group, a gathering, everyone wants to feel like they're cared about, right? Don't we all want to? Yeah feel that way. And, um, and so it seems like um, the, the, the smallest slight can shift us back into that, that, that negative place or that place of they don't really care, particularly with siblings. And I'm from a large family. So I'm just, I'm just coming from my own experience, really. But um, is that is that often the case? And and beyond the questioning, what are the other things one might do in those or be aware of, really, in those so, situations? Yes. Once again, getting back to the whole brain trying to make its prediction. And it's listening, watching, feeling all the time for the signs of anything that might be a threat. And as soon as some little trigger, even if it wasn't actually meant that way by the other person, sounds like something that they heard before that caused them, the person took some pain, the brain says, "Uh uh-oh, got to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And there's that pattern. And they go in and it goes into defensive mode. 
So the challenge here is when we hear something that causes to, to be listening to ourselves really closely, because we know these things are potentially there. And saying the second you feel that uptight moment to ask yourself, what does this really mean? And then maybe to say out loud, to, so what were you, what are you thinking about? Or that sounded a little tough. And I, did you mean it that way? You might even, you know, just ask. And most people don't want to hurt the other person, but we have vocal habits that we're not aware of and, and can do it without even realizing it. I heard one time that um, mediators have taken note that when they do mediation with a sibling group in particular, that they learn that the sibling group is sitting in the same places they sat as children. Have you ever heard that? I've heard it in a different form, but But it's how powerful that that old, those old things are ingrained. Well, just to, to share a little bit about my own challenges, as you referred to your own life being in a big sibling, mm-hmm. sibling group, I had an er, early childhood experiences that made me, um, I developed a lot of patterns that I was extremely sensitive to criticism and certain kinds of criticism on certain topics and such. And when I heard those little clues, not from just anybody, it wasn't from somebody I was doing business with or someone else. It was the person who was closest to me. If I heard any of those cues from that person, it could trigger me and to go into a very strong rage, depending on how well I had managed my body budget that day. Meaning, did I have enough sleep? Did I have enough to drink? Did I have the right food? And did I, and did I have other positive experiences that day? So in those most vulnerable times, I could go all the way into almost sounding like a two-year-old, except I'm big. And so I can make a lot more noise than a two-year-old can. I think, I think um, people in the world of psychology called it, call it regression. Yes. Regress to a very young place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and so my situation was exaggerated, but mm-hmm. most of us do some of this at a more toned-down level. And it can really sabotage the way we hear and think about the things that come after that moment. That's that's mm-hmm. the thing we have to break. Mm-hmm. Um, there are families who still all, you know, if they're going to visit mom, particularly after two years, who actually all descend upon mom's home and all stay together in mom's home. Might that create kind of a, a you know, a, a petri dish for conflict. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing your listeners, and I know I am picturing all kinds of things like you always did that, or why are you hogging the bathroom again? Uh, why are you talking to me that way? You know, a 
whole series of stuff that we, as you said, remember from our life growing up together. And we may not even be that kind of person in the bigger world anymore. We may not be that way with our spouses. We may not be that way with the children we raised, our, you know, our friends, our colleagues. But as you said, this huge reminder of where you started your life is all around you. And all the players are there. And the brain is saying, wow, there's a lot of pattern there. It only takes 15% of a pattern for the brain to slip into something that it already knows. Now, this is actually a great strength for us in many ways. It allows us to anticipate danger quickly, real danger. It allows us to recognize a hand when we could only see one finger from it. it it's, it's one of our great strengths. But as it's part of being human, our greatest gifts are also frequently our greatest curses. And uh, it's very it's very challenging to deal with this big brain that we have up here that does all the things that cats and dog brains do and more. <laughs> yes. And so if, if it's affordable, one might suggest that, that someone consider staying in a hotel nearby and, and creating some space and structure around the visits and, and all of yes. that, particularly for people out of town who haven't seen loved ones in two years. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, that's, a, that's a good point, too, in terms of uh, you can, if all those people are going to descend upon the family home at once, that's a lot of people. And that's going to put everybody under stress, regardless of what family they came from and what their background is. So a lot of people in one space is a high stress environment on its own. Um, And I know in in my own situation, my husband um, always prefers to stay in another place when we have family gatherings, if it's, if it's possible Um, for he's a, he's a very wise human being. Yes. (laughs) Um, So let's, Let's talk about the aging piece. Um, last week we did a show on, you know, red flags to look for while you're visiting. And so I, I would refer the audience to that. But, um, and, and of course that's going to go on and that could be the source of some of the conflict if, uh, family members choose that this time of year, which is already, as we've said, um, known to be a time of stress and tension when we all have this fantasy of warmth and comfort and food and laughter, and then we all get together and suddenly it's tension and stress and, and conflict. And so in the, in the, hopes of mitigating that conflict or managing it somehow. Um, what do we do with the piece where we're seeing mom for the first time in two years? We may even have siblings who see mom every day or bring her food every day or once a week. Um, and here we are, we're from out of town and we're having our own 
response, emotional, cognitive, whatever brain response to, you know, that things are different. Yes. So in those moments, I think you said something really great at the beginning there when you talked about we have these expectations of all these positive things. And then it isn't quite as golden as, as we, we wanted it to be. And, and one coping mechanism is to say to yourself right from the start, it, it may not be as golden as I want it to be, but I can focus on the golden moments rather than the ones that detract from the golden moments. So constantly reminding ourselves to see the positive moment in each interaction sets us up for better experience. Now, the next part was what is, I'm now seeing mom in a new light. I haven't seen her for two years because of COVID probably. And wow, she is different. And this is going to bring up a lot of, um, it's going to bring up two primary things. It's going to bring up confusion because, boy, the brain is really wanting those old patterns to be there and they're not, right? And then it's also going to bring up fear because when the brain is confused by something that it relied on and felt secure about, it gets fearful. And Knowing that about the potential ahead of time, the more pre-prep you can do for yourself, like one thing that my brother gave to me, a really great gift, and I'm dealing with aging parents myself, is that he spends more time with my parents than I do. And he started uh, about about a year ago to call me and say, you need to get here and spend more time with our parents because things are not going well. And our mother is really going down down a bad path. And he painted a pretty bleak picture. So when I got there, anything good looked awesome. (laughs) This is a great point. This is a really good, yes. Yes, yes. And so, yes, I did see the things that were not, that were the signs that he was troubled by. But I also saw probably the positive things that he had may have lost the ability to see. And I commented on them. And, and I think that helped him a little bit too. And, uh, and I commented them on, on them to my dad who had been concerned about my mom and The great gift in our family, though, is my father is a very optimistic person. I mean, not unrealistically optimistic, but he's good at seeing the positive when it's there. And he he does, um, he likes to focus that more than on the negative. I think you're right, though. When When an adult child, you know, has a phone relationship with a parent rather than a in the home relationship and the part and the siblings who, or the family members who are around the parent um, don't keep you informed on some of the changes. And yes, it can, I agree. It can be more shocking and approaching it 
for the um, surprised out of town sibling who sometimes we call in my industry, we call them swoopers. They swoop in, <laughs> they tell you everything that needs to be done and everything you're doing wrong. And then they leave. And I, I've been accused of that myself, but, um, but it, it, because it's so surprising. And so for them to remark about it can be viewed by the person receiving the remarks as criticism and you're off to the races at that point. Um, uh, there's, there's so much to talk about in terms of um, the aging piece that I think what I'd like to do is take a break and on the other side of the break, just focus more on how did those issues um, get managed during this very condensed um, tension-filled time. And so we're going to go to break. I'm here with Andelaine Clark, and we're talking about managing family conflict um, during the holidays. So we'll be right back. 90 seconds, we'll be back. Thanks. TrueLink Financial Incorporated is a financial services firm dedicated to serving older adults and people with disabilities. Their trust administration software, record-keeping platform, and the TrueLink Visa prepaid card were designed specifically for special needs trusts and other fiduciary vehicles to support trustees and their trust's beneficiaries. When combined with investment services provided by TrueLink Financial Advisors, LLC, their financial tools can help trustees save time and provide even more assistance to those they serve. Learn more at TrueLinkFinancial.com. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, thanks for coming back. This is Nancy Oriel. I'm your host here at Aging Life, where we talk about all things aging. And I am here with Andelaine Clark, who is a, um, a relationship expert and transformational mediator. Um, 
I should ask you what that is, but let, let's save that toward the end. Um, we're talking about visiting during the holidays, particularly if we're visiting um, an aging loved one's home or they're coming to our home or, you know, um, getting together and gatherings. And I was telling you before the show that I had read in my research that some people just flat out say, avoid talking about mom's challenges, changes, decline. It's going to be nothing but trouble. So where where do you come in on that? Because the fact is, it's probably going to come up. It's going to come up. Um, probably is probably is probably low. <laughs> it's likely to come up. Uh, uh, I guess those mean the same thing. It, it's it's uh, one thing I've used when I know that there's going to be some kind of controversial uh, topic that's going to come up is I'd say this because because I am a conflict person. I will say to the other person who brings it up, this is not the right time to be talking about that. And uh, my husband actually has a rule that he never talks about politics on vacation because that can be a very divisive thing in families and, and people often will ask. So it's figuring out what your boundaries are and knowing what you can handle. So sometimes you might also, another practical way would be well, tell me about your concerns and just be the listener and not be, you have time. You always have time to express so your some, If someone else brings it up. Right. Just go into that questioning mode. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another aspect of how the brain works. I told you that the brain likes to learn new things. Well, also when it's in that curiosity place and it's learning new things, it's moving up into this front part of the brain that we call the prefrontal cortex. And this is the gift. This is the really special gift that humans have over, as far as we know, all the other animals on our planet. And this is where our imagination resides. And this is where Einstein did all his great work and Da Vinci did all his great work. And uh, Indira Gandhi did all her great leadership. Um, When we ask questions, we're putting ourselves up in that space. We're also creating more trust when we get into that space. That opens us up to listen better than we would otherwise. Curiosity is one of our greatest tools in shifting ourselves out of a fearful space and a protective space into an open, trusting space. So... So I've I've traveled twenty five hundred miles. I'm I haven't seen my aging parent in two years, and I arrive. I see this decline. No one's provided me with very clear expectations that there has been this decline, and I'm in reaction. And so you're suggesting that I begin to ask questions or keep my observations to myself? Like, what do I do with all of that? I'm now, I'm kind of freaking out. Yeah. So 
it's if you put yourself in that questioning mode, you can ask questions, things like, I noticed mom did this and that looked different to me. What has been your experience? What, what are you thinking about that? And the, the, the goal here is to be as non, you know, as neutral as we possibly can. I recently saw a great um, spot with Morgan Freeman where he talked about how he gets that wonderful resonance in his voice. Now, some of it is born with, but one of the tools he does is he yawn and that loosens up all of the muscles in the neck. And then you can go into a lower vocal range and you have more resonance. And that alone will set people at better ease. It will also set you at better ease. So little reminders of how do I find my more comfortable space in this moment and how do I use my curiosity to my greatest advantage are probably our best um, tools in this moment. And um, what about suggesting outside of the actual holiday or outside of maybe even that weekend that some kind of meeting occur. It could be later when I get home by zoom. It could be, uh, you know, staying a couple extra days, but a meeting with, you know, the interested parties to talk about the things I'm noticing, maybe just, telling myself you don't have to do it today even though you're like bursting yes and as i said a little bit earlier we actually do have time to express our opinion i mean there may be urgent issues but there it's usually not going to happen in the next second or two so if we remind ourselves that we have time then we can ask for that meeting that you just said i mean that is actually one of the best techniques is to say, once again, this isn't the time for that right now because we want to enjoy each other's company. Certainly, we need to point it out if somebody's in immediate risk in the second that you're seeing it. But otherwise, we can talk about the bigger picture at another time. Let's figure out. Let's let's email each other or text each other right after the holidays and set up something. Right. And um, because I have you here and you do have so much experience around facilitating some of these conflicts, um, what are the best things a family can do when they do sit down to have that conversation? Um, and, you know, sadly, it, I mean, it, it may be on the holiday just simply because the nature of that family and, you know, and right. I just, I can't wait. Um, or there's a big enough concern. Um, what are some of the things, how can people approach it so that it doesn't escalate out of control and, you know, becomes completely unproductive? So one thing that I work with when I'm working with as a coach for clients in these kinds of situations is I help them do a self-inventory 
of what are their deepest concerns and fears. And I, anybody can do this at any time. So if we can create that self-inventory ahead of time before we have that meeting, so take at least, you know, an hour or a day of space, but maybe this is the only time everybody's going to be able to come together at the same time. So hopefully you can do it the day after Christmas or two days after Christmas. Um, And just think through what it is that you know are your own hot buttons that you're most worried about in your own life and what you look at when you see your parent and the fears it brings up for you in seeing your parent in the current situation. And so it's it's kind of being that curiosity for yourself that you would like other people to be for you too, and that you I'm encouraging you to be for others. And then when you get to the meeting, start there. Ask people to give their inventory of what you might even start with the hottest thing. Like what is it that most concerns you about the current situation? And why? What what are the associated thoughts you have with them? And you may not, I mean, in a perfect situation, you might be able to have someone from outside the family, a good friend of the family that could be there to help be the person that just keeps the flow going and asks that initial question kind of thing. That might be tough. So if there's someone in the group that feels a little more centered and not quite as caught up in the emotional charge of the moment, ask that person to to start the conversation and ask those kinds of opening questions. But everybody gets their turn. That's important. So talk, so sort of, so talking about where you're coming from, how you're feeling um, about the changes that are happening um, and um, it's nice if you can have a facilitator. I mean, this, you know, I would have said this at the end, but the fact is there are, there's now a whole industry around what's called elder mediation. There are mediators specifically trained to deal with family related issues in particularly with sibling groups um, or, or large families or small families. So um, yeah, if you can have a facilitator, of course, that's ideal because we all get off track because of all those other things we talked about earlier. And so, um, but if you've got the small family group, you're having the conversation, how can they, you know, what are, uh, what are the things that they should focus on that might keep them on track as they're sitting there eating their pie with their coffee and probably mom sitting at the table with them? Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, another uh, aspect, so in terms of this trust thing and, and, and knowing how our brains work, is that when we ask the questions, we're in the prefrontal cortex. When we're problem solving, we're a little bit before that. We're not quite in that top most trusting space, but we are definitely not in the low trust space. So, to focus on tangible things or 
or well-definable things, such as tasks that may need to be done, and have somebody write down, you know, what do we think are the issues that need to be taken care of? Um, and, and then ask people uh, in the group, what is your ability to help with these various tasks? Some of them are going to be, I need to call someone, I need to ask, you know, do research with, to find out what different assistance there is out there. There's a lot of administrative kind of things. Others are, I, she needs somebody to be here at least once a week to make sure she's getting a good balanced food in the house. Um, that would be a different kind of Grocery shop, take her grocery shopping. Yeah, take take her her grocery Mm -hmm. shopping or take her to the doctor or Mm -hmm. right. And and sometimes it may be that the parent just needs a little moral support, such as in my own situation. My dad, my mother has my father, he's he's doing great, but he needs moral support in order to help with my mom. And um, that's where my family is focusing on right now. When we can find those definable things, that makes it a little easier and our brains aren't taking all these kind of weird um, tangents of, oh, that could look really ugly if we go down that path or what does that look like? We're we're much more focused on a definable, I kind of know what that looks like. Here's, I have a set of expectations of how that would go. And then there's going to be somebody in the family who he can't or she can't help with the day-to-day stuff, but they can help in a support manner, like help manage finances, um, mm-hmm. help coordinate all the healthcare issues, be the point person that that is always informed with all the doctors that are involved or the, all the healthcare um, resources that are involved. There's people you we need to remember that we each come to the table with different gifts. And if we're um, maximizing each person's gifts, then we're going to get the best out of the situation. The other side of it is that there are those of us who, when we don't hear anybody volunteer for something, we have this amazing impulse to be the one to jump in and and before all. you know it, we have taken on five more things than we really can handle. So that's that previous self inventory that we need to say. And you might even ask to have another family member, a buddy in the family say, and remember you, you already took on ABC. Right. Is that going to be, are you going to be able to do all of that? Reality well, testing, is and there are uh, countless caregivers out there living with parents who have moved into their home, who are doing it all, and feel like the siblings have just gone off the grid completely. And I encouraging them to begin to approach them with tasks saying, can you do this one small thing, can begin to just alleviate some of the stress, maybe even resentment that can naturally begin to build up. 
Um, let's see, I did want to ask you, so of course, this can also be a wonderful opportunity to sit and talk with our aging loved one about what they want, yeah. about their wishes, their preferences, the what ifs, you know, if if you had to move, you know, if you couldn't afford to stay here, if you needed 24-7 care, if you had a massive stroke, if you needed a ventilator, all of those things that families never talk about. In fact, almost every show I talk about the conversation project and tell people to Google it because they are helping people have those difficult conversations with aging loved ones. So I'm saying it again, go and check it out. Um, um, in my practice, and maybe I think in my practice, we use a very lengthy values history form that we complete and send to families. And we ask lots of questions about end of life and, you know, what makes you laugh? What scares you? Things that if I were trying to help them in their life, I would want to know because so often we don't know our parents in that way. It's very funny. Oh, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, we don't usually know our parents in that way. And, and seeing our parents in a way as now they're more like peers with us, or maybe they're even, maybe we're more in the parent position in a way because we've had to take on more caregiving. That can be very hard for people to get through that change in role. That alone is stressful. Um, so, those are great questions. I love that you do this 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 questionnaire. That's that's perfect. It's oh, right should, in line. I should share that with you. Yes, yes you should. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's right in line with how I work mm-hmm. in in the coaching that I do. Is you know what what makes you you basically, and what makes your day go well, and what is it that you're worried about when your day might not go so well. Mm-hmm. So keep the focus on why why you're talking about this topic. Try to avoid those regressive moments of, um, you know, you always, you never, um, you know, when people start using those terms, um, you know, they're, they're starting to slide down that regression slope. Yes, absolutely. That is that is a very very big sign. As soon as we say always and never, you you right. always you never. That's the the right. big thing. And 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 something you and I actually have talked about before. And I think it's a great thing to remind mm-hmm. many people have heard of this technique. Is this concept of I statements? Mm-hmm. And and one of the the way it's usually taught is when you do this, I feel this way, or I hear this. And I actually work at, as a mediator um, at, at helping people even make it more neutral than that. When I hear words like, you always, you never, I get afraid and I feel like I've been pigeonholed. I am not saying you to the other person. 
you didn't, I'm not saying when I hear you say it, when I hear these words, if we can do that, which is really awesome, I will give you great kudos if you are able to get there to that space to do that. But you can practice that skill before the family gathering. And the and even if you just have done it a few times and the, if you remember to do it once or twice in the interaction, you're going to be ahead of where you were. As the most amount of saying, when I experience this, I feel this. That is going to help build compassion in the other person and it helps them feel less defensive and they might actually stop saying you never, you, you, you always. I have experienced that personally and use the I, it makes me feel or I feel this way and, and to, with positive results. So thank you for that reminder. Um, okay, so including our loved one in the conversation, I think, is probably a great thing. If the conversation becomes too conflicted or loaded, I we both, of course, would recommend they try to stop the conversation and schedule it for a time away from this holiday event, this holiday period, you know, particularly the cousins are running around and here are the two, three, four, five siblings, you know, starting to go at it. (laughs) Not very helpful, not helpful to mom. I mean, here's the thing. What do we know about what I know about parents having worked with them for 25 years is they want everybody to get along. Oh yeah. They just want us all to get along and they will acquiesce. They may not do it, but they'll say they're going to do something just to reduce the conflict. And so if we really want to have real, authentic, productive conversations, you know, fighting in front of mom is just not a good thing. No, and and in some families, it's funny, even though the parents want everybody to get along, sometimes one of the parents can be an instigator because that's whatever, for whatever reason, that's been their role. It's been the dynamic. <laughs> the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And and um, that's where the invent, the personal inventory before you even go to the, to the holiday thing is saying, you know, what do I know about myself? What do I know about my old patterns? Where, what am I, where do I go when I feel most threatened? Now, here's a little tip in the moment. A lot of times when we're really stressed, um, the brain uses carbohydrate to work. That's its primary food. And um, protein is going to help us keep our blood sugar at an even level throughout the day. So eating good amounts of protein when you're consciously eating your meals and stuff. But when you see yourself slipping, you know what? Grab one of those holiday cookies or get a glass of orange juice or a glass of maybe even eggnog. <laughs> Something just muffin. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Something with a little sugar in it will help. Okay. The other thing that's that you want to it's very fast is to get some water. I know it's crazy but most of us do not drink enough water. 
So that's, those are two quick things that we can do to help shift our mood in the moment. Right. I was going to ask, what, what are the three or four of the strategies to remember? So get your body ready, the food, the sleep, the water, um, ask questions. Um, what else would you say? The, the, um, those are the better strategies. Be, 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 do that self-inventory before you go. Do the self-inventory. And do mm-hmm. it on a regular basis while you're there. Okay. And listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. What yeah. am I saying? Am I saying you always, you never? Right. Okay. That's that's oh. a biggie. <laughs> that's great. So um, I'm, I, I'm running out of time here. I'm going to wrap us up. Thank you, Anne. This has been very enjoyable conversation and I think um, very helpful. I'm going to send this to all my family that I'm going to see before um, we all gather. I appreciate all that you're doing to assist families through some very difficult times. Let me, I want to tell you, you can find Anne uh, on her website, which is www.stanhopeandclark, S-T-A-N-H-O-P-E, a-N-D-C-L-A-R-K, stanhopeandclark.com. Um, join me and my guests as we discuss all things aging here on Aging Life. You can find all podcast episodes on my website, aginglifenetwork.com, or on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, shout out to Truling Financial, my sponsor. And remember, if you're struggling with what to do, experiencing a moment of crisis, or needing guidance through the maze of elder care, aginglifenetwork.com now offers a free call with a care guide who will help you determine the best next steps for you and your loved one. You can call toll-free 855-254-3159 today, and a care guide will uh, visit with you for a free 30-minute call. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you, Anne, and have a great holiday to all of you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.